Okay, welcome to the Bike Pack Canada podcast with yours truly, Ryan Corey. Uh, we're on to episode five, I think it is now. Um, had some great interviews uh, so far with a good group of folks from across the country and uh, excited. Yeah, we've got some um, already the next two interviews lined up with um, Tom Babin, who's uh, the author of Frostbike. So he's going to be talking about uh, biking in the winter. And we've got uh, Joanna, uh, who's the programming uh, coordinator for the Banff Mountain Festival. So looking forward to chatting with her on did any bikepacking films make it into the festival this year? You know, what kind of submissions are they getting? How does one get into the festival? Um, you know, just really anything that comes to, comes to mind. Uh, so t- today, kind of mixing it up, uh, doing something different. And we are going to do uh, a Q&A uh, with me. So chatting, uh, writing, adventures, uh, bikepacking, gear, uh, really whatever comes to mind. And uh, I've put the interview in the hands of uh, uh, my lovely wife, uh, Sarah. Mm-hmm. And uh, we are, are, are in our, our dining room at our kitchen table <laughs> and in our underwear. Literally, we didn't even get dressed for this. I, I'm <laughs> Not <kidding>. true. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. So Sarah's, uh, this is her first time doing this and it's a good challenge for us both. Mm-hmm. And uh, she's going to be leading the questions and in, in full transparency, I've, she's she's run one or two by me, but uh, most of this is going to be off the cuff, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, enjoy the ride. So our first Q and A podcast, and and hoping to do more of these. So awesome! Take it away, Sarah. What's what's first on your list? Okay, well, obviously, a lot of people listening will already know a bit about you, or maybe a lot about you, depending, you know, how well they know you, or if they've read your book. Um, but for those who don't, why don't we start by having you tell us how you got into the world of bikepacking? Yeah, so, um, you know, like a lot of people, I was uh, obsessed and um, was drawn in by the, the Tour Divide. So um, I heard about the Divide back in 2000. Nine during Trans Rockies, uh, some uh, fellow racers that I befriended uh, told me about it. It was uh, actually Jill Homer from Alaska. Uh, she had just completed uh, what was then, I think, the second running of the race um, and said it would be right up my alley. I had just started to get into mountain biking then, um, but by this time I had, you know, a bit of a resume as far as. Um, ultra ambitious uh, projects um, so it was it was put on the radar then and uh, then you know saw Mike Dion's film Ride the Divide and, and that you know seeing a visual really kind of uh, helped me to connect the dots um, and then um, racing racing it in 2012 for the first time uh, like a lot of projects I thought it was just going to be kind of a one and done um, I, I try not to repeat myself too often uh, there's a whole world of adventure out there, but uh, you know something about the the divide um, really uh, really brought together all all the things that I uh, enjoy learning about and researching and, and ways that I challenge myself. Not only uh, being a cyclist, but uh, being an outdoors person. Um, and uh, yeah, it, it became very apparent that it would be something that I'd want to uh, keep pursuing. So. The bikepacking seed was planted uh, back in, in 2012. Okay. And as you alluded to, you've had some pretty epic adventures on two wheels since you were pretty young. Um, everything from riding from Alaska to Argentina to Ram, racing in North America and Europe. Um, 
but as you mentioned, nowadays you're totally enthralled with bikepacking. So what is it about bikepacking that keeps you interested? You know, when you've got a resume of some pretty interesting things, why are you stuck on bikepacking? Yeah, I it's it's kind of weird to go 100% in this in this new direction and I think a lot of it has to do with that so much about the scene is still trying to find its way. Um, so whether that be uh, bike companies trying to figure out what a bike packing bike is and uh, and how to how to market it, um, the racing scene, um, you know who, who are the characters behind the scenes. I think, yeah. So th- th- there was there was a lot of opportunities, um, or the the scene was still relatively new. But I think, um, you know, as I've done a lot of times in the past, I got really drawn in by the idea of trying to take a leadership position. Um, it felt like, um, you know, I was in a pretty good position to do that, and that the scene needed it, especially in Canada. Um, so yeah, it, it kind of goes beyond just the biking. It's the chance to be um, a bit of a, a leader and, and help guide the scene a little bit, or help direct it. We'll say, um, and I, I think that's that. That's why I, I dove in both feet. Okay, but uh, why bike packing? Why not ultra running, climbing mountains, sailing across oceans? Well, I, I think, like I said, it's just so much of it was you know, those teams are already established. You have governing bodies, you have the sponsors that know about it, you have the media that knows how to cover it. Um, there was just, it was like bikepacking is like the Wild West, is I think what I'm trying to say. And um, it, it was a new frontier for cycling, a multifaceted frontier, and a chance to be a leader. Um, so, yeah, uh, just because there was more opportunity, I, I think. It's not that I wouldn't go back to any of those things. Like when I saw Mike's latest film, uh, Inspired to Ride, on the Trans Am race, you know, although it still kind of falls into the bikepacking realm, um, you know, it's a road race. It's kind of like Ram. And, uh, you know, I find myself once a week or so starting to think, you know, what if I did Ram again with the, <laughs> with the knowledge that I have now? Um, so I'm always curious. I wouldn't totally write it off. I just, I think, you know, being a, uh, an athlete and an entrepreneur, it's, it's important to not just do what everyone else is doing and, uh, to, to, to break new ground, break new frontiers. And of course it ties in a lot of things, um, from your background, obviously cycling is something you started at a pretty young age, but also in terms of your education, um, going to school for outdoor leadership and ecotourism. Yeah, I, it's kind of an interesting side note. Um, you know, I've had a couple of people approach me about coaching lately. And, uh, yeah, I, I give it thought. I don't say no right away. But the, the interesting thing about bikepacking is it's, it's to, to prepare for it and to be, to be good at it, it's not just about being a good cyclist like a lot of other disciplines. It's uh, you really have to be a good outdoors person and be comfortable, um, you know, in your own head on top of a mountain somewhere in inclement weather. So, um, yeah, no, I brought together some interesting elements and with my ecotourism and outdoor leadership background, it's, um, you know, I, I, I kind of love like the, the, the fact that, you know, with road cycling, you get every once in a while, you get bored about going just in a straight line on asphalt, mm-hmm. but with bike packing, 
there's so many other elements and some of those being, you know, as you're riding, you're, you're not just looking ahead to the next destination, but you're thinking about, you know, how am I going to uh, build a fire for myself and how am I going to fend for myself? And, um, yeah, it, it brings in, um, brings in a lot of, uh, new elements and things that I've, I've prepared for in advance, but, uh, you know, in prior years, but I've never really been uh, able to apply, mm-hmm. you know, I, whether it be that I had support crews or that it was a very su- supported event, you know, with aid stations and things like that. Um, so again, yeah, it's a chance to apply a lot of tools in the belt that I haven't previously got to, to use. Okay. Um, yeah, so you talked a little bit about, you know, that moment being on top of a mountain or a mountain pass and um, in the backcountry wilderness, maybe starting a fire and keeping warm. Why don't you paint a picture for us? What does that ideal bikepacking experience look like? What does it feel like? Um, you know, what is it that you you try to create out there? Okay. So I guess maybe the question is like, how would I describe it to someone else in such a way that they'd want to maybe get it? Exactly. Through those rose colored glasses. Yeah. And and I'm not good at this. Um, (laughs) So there's been several scenarios where I found myself halfway through an explanation and then outright say, well, this doesn't sound enticing at all. Um, So it's, it's, it's equal parts, um, suffering, um, inspiration and, and awe, uh, I guess you could say. Um, I, when I think of bikepacking, I think of it as the solo experience. I know a lot of people um, really cherish the, the group riding. It's not really something I've um, had a chance to experience myself um, and, and get into. I've quite often been on my own. Um, so it's, it's, to me, it's, you know, it's, it's challenging yourself as an athlete, but more uh, encompassing as a, as a, as a human being. It gets back to a caveman experience, I guess. And, uh, what I, what I mentioned in the talks is bikepacking's primal. And, um, you know, it, it harkens back to skills that we used to use on a daily basis that we don't use anymore. And that when you're in the moment and when it's in that perfect moment, it's not necessarily easy. And, there is suffering and the weather might not be nice, but your, your mind and your body is engaged on a whole new level. Um, and it feels like it's waking up those ancestral roots, um, to the point that, yeah, that perfect moment is, is, you know, when, when you, you strike the fire and the fire is going and something's cooking and you've got your tent and, you know, for all the things that, that, that we try to make sense of the world, really what it is, is those primal instincts and in, in getting back to them. And, um, you know, the cliche answer would be the standing on the mountaintop and overlooking the pretty sunset. But I think the, the core of it is, um, awakening that, that primal instinct and, uh, being in it hmm. and trying not to be distracted by the world around you, but just really being in it and living in the moment. So you, um, you know, brought out that primal instinct in yourself, I guess, uh, when you first toured the Divide, um, which you've now done twice, and you're going to go for a third time in 2018. What do you hope to get out of that race that you haven't already? 
Well, I, I think we should let the record state right now that my wife just gave me permission on, on a podcast in full full transparency that I, I, I'm now given uh, full right to go and do the divide. I didn't know I had the power of permission. Thank uh, you. <laughs> we're, we're a union. You have to ask, right? Um, oh, geez. I totally blanked. What was the question? So what do you hope to get out of the Tour Divide in 2018 being your third go around? Um, will it be, do you expect to get something different um, do you have a different goal in mind? Well, I, I'm going to say that the, the goal is, and I'm going to explain my answer because it's not, on paper, it's not a great answer. So my goal is to win. So what does the winning mean to me? I know I have the ability to win. My goal is not to um, necessarily beat anyone else. Like when I think of winning, that's not what it is. When I think of winning, it's me, you know, Ryan Corey firing on all cylinders. Mm-hmm. So I've done everything um, to the best of my abilities and I haven't had any injuries. And I don't feel like I've done that yet. I, I've gotten close. I saw a glimmer of it um, two years ago on the second run. But, you know, of course I I injured myself. So to me, winning is is a very... Um, basic way of, of saying it, firing on all cylinders. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, and I, I think that's, that's what a lot of, uh, riders, um, ultimately come back for. You, you learn a lot of things, uh, from the rookie experience. Um, and you, you get curious about how to knock off days and which, which I know I can knock off another couple of days, but, I, I say winning because to me in my head, it's like I said, it's not about beating people. It's to me, if I've won, it's because I've reached my full potential. Um, and I, and that's to me an exciting, uh, prospect. Hmm. Well, this past April, you didn't go out to win or even to race the Arizona trail. You went and toured it. Um, how did that go? What was that like? Well, it was interesting. I, you know, there's usually one person in every talk that I do that asks if um, if I ever do anything for I, I can try to remember how they phrase it, but if for I ever fun? do for 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 fun, <laughs> like just for the hell of it. And um, to me, the, the Arizona Trail, um, I, I've, I kind of forced myself in a position where I wasn't racing it. I, I did find myself at times trying to meet a certain time. Hmm. Um, but then I would quickly default to, you know, I'm just out here to have fun, you know, in quotations. It's a very difficult trail. But I still have to make my flight home. <laughs> yeah. Stopped. You know, yeah, you can't. You have to be realistic. Like, you could easily take a month plus uh, out there. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I challenged myself um, to just tour it and, um, you know, to set the standard a little bit. You know, I carried a backpack with a heavy camera in it and a tripod. And so I wasn't necessarily set up in that stealth race mode like um, I sometimes am. You know, I had more food, I had more water. Um, and, you know, really took the moment or took the time to, to, to not always be suffering. Like stop and just like sit in the dirt and... Um, you know, it sounds strange, but something I always try to do on these trips is when I'm stopped, um, you know, if I'm up against a tree or something, I'll consciously tell myself to just like touch the tree. Hmm. And what does the bark feel like? You know, do I see any little insects walking around? <laughs> because it's, it's very, very easy for someone that comes from a racing background to always be 
looking ahead on the trail, not necessarily side to side or, or even behind. So um, I, I very much treated it like a touring experience um, and just tried to have some fun with it. And um, I called it my, uh, uh, what do I call it? My, my bike pack, um, mm. not bridal shower. <laughs> bachelor party. <laughs> bachelor party. Yeah, that makes more sense. <laughs> bachelor so the, party of one. The bachelor party of one. So it was, you know, it was just before we got married. So it was in May. We got married in June. And uh, not only it's trying to stop and smell the roses, uh, literally, but... Um, you know, trying to put things in perspective. So shoot some videos and, and ask myself some questions on, uh, you know, what kind of husband I want to be, uh, what are some of the, the challenges I have on a day-to-day basis, and what am I bringing to a relationship, and just ask some of the big questions when you're in those big places like the, the Grand Canyon. and <laughs> Yeah. So do you see yourself doing more touring for fun in the future or do you prefer to stick to races? I, my, I think my head defaults to, to racing. Um, it's, it's competition has been ingrained in me since uh, I was quite young, uh, you know, even going back to the, the hockey, hockey years. So, you know, even when, when you bring up the idea of going on vacation, my head kind of defaults to a you know like if we're going to go for a hike we should do like a traverse of something <laughs> and uh, it's it's almost like an accomplishment I, I think I've gotten better about that especially when I think of you and I doing things together and you know we I've been pushing uh to bring bring you into the bike packing world too so you got a mountain bike just this year and we did a well our honeymoon was a a bike packing trip. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so when we do things together, uh, try to, try to focus more on that touring experience. Um, but you know, an, a, another way to, to put myself in that position was, um, working on a guidebook. So that forced me to, uh, not just race by everything. Cause you have to kind of take mental notes of all the turns and, and things to put in the guidebook. And, um, so I would say, yeah, last year wasn't even focused that much on, on racing, neither will this year uh, or this upcoming year leading up to the divide. I wouldn't say I'm getting better at it necessarily, um, but I'm, I'm more mindful of creating those opportunities where I have to, I have to tour mm-hmm. um, and take myself out of that racing mindset create a bit of a different experience for yourself. Yeah. I'm sure that's great too, to add perspective, um, in consideration of the fact that you're writing a guidebook, like you just touched on, um, what's the motivation behind the guidebook? Well, in full transparency, when, once you've written a book, um, and especially like my first book of purpose written was quite lengthy. Um, it's, it's, it feels like a, a, a big paperweight when you put it <laughs> down. Uh, surprisingly, not much was cut out of it. Um, so it, it was quite in depth and you spend like years of your life uh, writing these things. And I did write it. I've had a people, few people ask if there was a ghostwriter. No, every word in that book was written by me. Um, so it becomes like a routine that you get to know. And it's, you know, come to the end of it. You're like just happy that it's done and ready to press send and kind of get rid of it. And and I haven't reread it since I've published it. Like, cause you end up reading it so many times. Mm-hmm. So anyways, it becomes part of your, your life. You're ready to be done with it. Um, but it becomes also a new tool in the belt. Um, 
because you've spent so much time on it. And it almost feels weird to, to not apply yourself in that way again. So I, I think from my experience through the writers that I know, it's pretty rare for someone to just write one book and be done with it. Mm-hmm. Um, you have a lot of those relationships set up. So you, you start thinking about, well, you know, what's, what's the next, what's the next subject I can tackle? And, um, you know, even if I'm going to stay in the same realm, um, I always try to think of new ways to, to test myself. So, you know, this podcast, for example, is, is one of those tools. Instead of just writing blog after blog, it's like, okay, let's find a new way to tell the same kind of story. Um, so the guidebook emerged as, as, as a new opportunity and, um, it's interesting. So, you know, I, it's, it's writing a book, but it's also very much research based. So it was going to be, um, a forced way to, uh, ingrain in, grain myself into our new home in the Rockies and, and get to know the, the region very well. Um, and then along with uh, starting at Bike Pack Canada to try to, you know, really establish those, those leadership uh, roots so that when someone says, you know, where do I go and what do I do? You know, it's good to have someone or at least a few people out there that have done a lot of these things because um, they're going to be the initial pioneers that the, the community goes to. So, um, the, the point was to establish, you know, that leadership role a bit more, uh, but also to challenge myself in a, a new writing uh, capacity, so research capacity. Mm-hmm. So the guidebook's going to focus on the Canadian Rockies, um, so Alberta and BC. Um, and we've got some great local races popping up here um, in BC and Alberta as well. For people who live in parts of the country that maybe don't have well-known routes or races happening in the bikepacking scene, um, you know, do they need established trails and routes in order to get out there and get started bikepacking? Well, the the word established is is kind of interesting because although I am plotting routes, um, I, I you know they're not they're not locations that you're going to see a sign out on the trail anytime soon, um, and in all likelihood, you know they're the their access could change in a few years, you know, being the fact that these are backcountry trails that don't get used that often. So, uh, land policies change all the time. So, um, established, I'm going to say no. Um, but what I, what I like about this is if I was just starting into bikepacking. So, so what I, what I've learned from our, our encounters with new bikepackers and from our summit, uh, in Canmore in October was, um, and I, and I think I mentioned this in the podcast with Ryan Draper, but you know, I'll, I can very easily say, well, bikepacking simple. You just pull up Google maps, you pull up, you know, uh, the local cross country mountain bike trail guides and, you know, just start to piece together networks, um, and loops. And you probably have an idea already of, uh, what distance you want to do each day. And, and really it's, it's about choose your own adventure. Um, but what we, what we learned from the the summit was that, um, you know, as soon as I would say something like that, the next question back would be, but but where do I go? Mm. So I think, um, a bike pack guidebook is, is important. Um, not necessarily because I expect people to follow it to a T, um, in the Rockies, I I think it, it will be very much used, but, I think it's important to have these kind of resources because it almost tells people that 
um, yes, choose your own adventure, but here's kind of some benchmarks as far as uh, routes that have been tested. Like you almost need that first person to go out there and say, you know, it's okay to ride down that gravel road, even though someone else hasn't necessarily done it before. It's just a gravel road. It's a public road. Anyone can use it. And someone's done it before. And I, I think, as odd as it sounds, I think a lot of newer riders kind of want to hear that feedback, that someone at some point has gone over this mountain pass. <laughs> they didn't freeze and die on top of it. It is doable. It's done. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, maybe I can explore another pass on this range. So, yeah, it's it, long story short, it's not to give... Um, credited or, or signed routes uh, or establish those it's it's more to say this has been done it can be done mm-hmm. now use this as a starting point for choosing your own adventure so people can what you're saying more or less in other parts of the country if they want to get out there they could stitch together their own routes too gravel roads rural roads um like is this something that's accessible no matter where you are what? Yeah, so it's it's the the book that I'm working on is is focused on the Rocky Mountains. So it's ten routes in the Rocky Mountains, um, and it, it's it covers pretty where anywhere most people would want to go. So it's an interesting question. So what does this do for the rest of the country? Uh, you know, because as we know, we have people in um, all provinces uh, ask starting to ask the question like, what is bikepacking and and where can I go? So. In the, in the world of bikepacking resources in Canada, there, there aren't any other guidebooks. Um, so this would be a first. Um, I, geez, I, I, I think if I lived in like Saskatchewan, and I, I'm trying to, I'm just using this off my own experiences, talking with people that live in these parts of the world. I think what it will do is it will set a standard um, in these other regions as far as you know, what does a bikepacking route look like so that they can start uh, planning their own, you know, whether that be a guidebook or a map or just a, a resource on a site. Um, and I, like I said, I've seen this firsthand with like parks people. I remember I had a good conversation with some people down at the Cypress Hills parks in uh, southern, uh, the southeast corner of Alberta, bordering on Saskatchewan. And um, it's very apparent like they, people just want to know that you don't have to create infrastructure. Like what does a route look like for the average person? You know, like a hundred kilometer a day is a hundred kilometer a day too much is a 50 kilometer a day too much. What kind of resources do they want along the way? Do bike packers like established campsites? Do they like hotels? What do they eat? So I think the, the, the Rockies guidebook will establish a bit of a standard. Um, and where, where I'm developing my own standards is from, you know, many years of, you know, working with organizations like, uh, the Adventure Cycling Association and, uh, you know, s- staring at, a, a, a Arizona trail guidebook for, for two weeks straight. Right. And, and knowing what resources work for me and then, uh, translating that into the, the Rockies guidebook. Okay. So. You've got your route. Uh, what would be some advice you'd give to that first time bike packer? Well, the, the first time bike packer, um, <laughs> my advice is usually don't, don't read too much into the internet and, and resources that are, are available. Um, I find that a lot of newer riders get very sucked into um, forums 
Um, and it's funny because I say that in full transparency that we have a forum for Bike Pack Canada. Um, but some of the ones that have been around for quite a bit longer, it's just so much information. Um, it's just, it, it's, it's overload. Um, so I say to the first time bike packer, my, my go-to is, is, is don't get sucked into, um, trying to have it perfected right out of the gate. Um, and you know, the, the best example I have of that is when we did an overnighter this year in, um, June or July? I can't remember now. We did our first overnighter and we had 10 people come out and I didn't give them any instruction. I just said, we're doing an overnighter to Bolton Creek. You're on your own, more or less. We're going as a group, but just be prepared to, to take your own stuff. And they were like the classic example of not overthinking it. And that, that is really what I would hope for like anyone starting out. So yeah, most of the group showed up with like garbage bags that they just like duct tape and bungee corded to their, their bike. Right. And to someone that's experienced that has all the gear, you're like, Whoa, I don't know how this is going to hold up. And I don't know how this is going to work out, but we had a great time. Mm-hmm. It did the job, you know, like w- would, would that kind of gear last, uh, the ages? No, but it did the job. So the, the advice would be to try to follow that example. Don't overthink it. Use the bike you have. Um, use the gear you have, whether that's just a backpack. Don't go out and buy a bunch of stuff. Just start there. Start with an overnighter. Um, and, and not try to have all the answers, but start with trying to figure out what the questions are. So go on that overnighter and, 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 and realize what you do and don't know. Hmm. And, uh, you know, it's become your own leader in it because like I said, kind of at the start is that there's, this is the wild west. Um, and it's not at a point where the giants and the specialized and treks of the world are dictating what bikepacking is. Mm-hmm. It's, it's coming from the people that are doing it. Um, and, uh, it's still very much, uh, up in there. So figure it out for yourself. Now, what about the person looking to take on something longer, a little more wild and adventurous, like the Tour Divide or Colorado Trail, Arizona Trail, something like that? What advice would you give for someone looking for that first epic adventure? Again, I would say that person's going to probably start to look a bit more into the forums now. Uh, you know, they're going to want to know what lights work and what's the latest technology. And I get that, and I do it too. Mm-hmm. Um, but I find the best way to start on on the longer trips is is you want to connect with someone that you know and trust that's already done something similar um and the reason why i would suggest that is is when you go to someone you know and trust it there's a bit of a filter on sensationalism so you know like if someone comes up to me and and asks about the divide and they say you know what do i think of bears you know, if you go to the forum and say, you know, are there bears on this route? People are going to like scare the crap out of you saying, oh, you know, you need bear spraying to carry a shotgun through the Flathead Valley. When the reality is, is that most of us very rarely see a bear and that most of us that have used bear spray have used it incorrectly and, and, and actually incapacitated ourselves. So <laughs> you need, if you go to someone, you know, and trust that's done it, it develops, there's a bit of a filter in theory, like to try not to Hopefully, it's the bullshit filter. Mm-hmm. It's the sensation sensationalism filter because um, you know even when I write stuff on forums, uh, I I find myself getting very easily sucked into offering a sensationalized uh, opinion mm-hmm. um, because it draws interest, draws attention, and draws uh, replies. 
Um, but you want to be able to sit across the table and look someone in line and, and know that they're, they're not overselling it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So connect with someone. Okay. Um, one of the biggest components of, uh, preparing for a big race or event like that, not that I would know from firsthand experience, but, um, it takes a lot of time and effort, the training, uh, racing them can also require a huge time commitment. You might be looking at you know, three weeks off of work, a month, something like that. For a lot of people, that makes the dream of completing such a race seem impossible. Um, how do you make it work? <laughs> I don't have a real job. No, <laughs> I, 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 I have a very, I'm in a very fortunate position where, you know, I, a lot of the work I do is freelance and the, the kind of ongoing joke is what do I do for a living? I do a lot of things and I work very hard, but as a freelance, um, as a freelance worker, you, you, you live and die by your own schedule and, and basically what you hunt for yourself. Um, so, you know, if I take three plus weeks off, um, I'm either given the blessing of, um, you know, the people I work around or I just go and do it, um, because I want to. And, and I, if there's a, uh, aftershock because of that, that's not that pleasant. Well, that's, that's what I've learned to deal with. Right. But, um, freelance work is has given me that opportunity. You know how how other people do it. It's, it, you know, even around like I was thinking like Josh, uh, you know, Cato talking about uh, the Tour Divide, and you know, people like the, him that have full time jobs that have to book off like many months, maybe even a year in advance, and it puts it in perspective when you hear it from someone else's mouth and. Um, I would say, you know, I've, I've got it pretty, pretty easy, easy in that regard, you know, cause this is the life that I've built for myself from a very early age. Um, but how other people do it, I, <laughs> I don't know. Like, it, and it, it's, it's, it's not uncommon to be on the, on one of these trails and to hear someone say that they've got a rush to like meet an air, like a flight they've prearranged or something. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I, I, uh, I don't envy envy that position, but um, you know it's it's the real world. That's how it operates, and um, you know kudos for the people that are able to find that that time to make it happen. And I don't really have any advice as far as how you how you connect the dots. It's you know it'd be very easy for me to say is just quit your job and be an entrepreneur. But um, <laughs> you know the the position that um, I'm in and we're in. It's not something that happened overnight. It's something that's been ongoing for, uh, you know, a, a, almost two decades. So I'm in a fortunate position. I don't have a good answer, but <laughs> that's okay. Freelan- free, being a freelancer is awesome when it, when you want to just screw off and do bikepacking trips. <laughs> so some of the work that you do is um, with the Canadian distributor of Hammer Nutrition. How does proper fueling play into training and racing for you? The well, the, the proper fueling is is not a problem, and I'm very good about in the the training. So I'll, uh, you know, at this time of the year, going more to the gym for resistance activity. I'm very good about having my uh, recovery ready to go after the workout, and uh, leading up, eating a solid meal. And uh, usually, when I'm working out, I have a little gel flask. So I've 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 got that all dialed in. I know what I need to do. Um, I'm rolling out, I'm stretching, I'm using our complex uh, electro muscle stimulation. So 
uh, doing everything I need to. And then, uh, really when it comes to a bike packing trip, it's just like kind of holding on, <laughs> um, and kind of forgetting all that stuff. So, um, the way I travel is, is, is pretty light and quick. It's, it's a, it's not the lightest you can go. Um, uh, but it's, it's pretty far from, um, fully loaded, I'd say. So I, you know, I don't have a stove. I'm not carrying a ton of food. Uh, you know, quite often I'm going hungry and thirsty a little bit, but you know, that's the trade-off for going light and quick. Um, so I'm not carrying the hammer products with me, um, really beyond the first day of, of any, you know, whether it's a scouting trip or, um, a, a race, like, don't get me wrong. I'm loaded up for that first day, but beyond that, it's, I'm at the whim of the convenience stores and the diners, uh, along the way. But that said, uh, you know, when I do, when I do stop at those locations, I, I at least have the knowledge as far as uh, how to fuel properly. Like when I race into the convenience store and I've given myself three minutes to stock up, um, I, I would say I, I have a leg up as far as uh, knowing what to race for mm-hmm. and not uh, not sort of questioning myself when I go into those places. So um, having a very in-depth understanding through the you know, the hammer fueling talks as far as uh, what is a calorie, you know, what is carbs, protein, fat, what you know roles do those play in the body as far as fueling and um uh, especially on the the long the long haul so i don't necessarily i'm not great about the hammer products while i'm on the trail just because it's not logistically feasible um but i'm equipped with the hammer knowledge awesome and as we know um, hammer nutrition really focuses on clean, healthy ingredients. So knowing that while you're out on the trail, um, you're going to be eating a lot of tasty, but maybe less than ideal, uh, foods from a nutrition perspective, how important is it, um, to be fueling properly while you're training? Well, like I said, when, when you get to the start line, uh, of a race more so you're kind of just holding on that. I've been, it's pretty rare to be in a situation where you like are recovering on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. So ideally you've, you've trained and built your body up to a point where it's, you know, strong enough to, to last through the, the trip. And so part of that is uh, fat reserves, uh, because that's, you know, on the long haul, that's where a lot of your energy is going to come from. Uh, part of that is, um, having the, the endurance and just the, you know, your muscles being used and your joints being used to the repetitive uh, motions of it all. Um, so I, I, I put a lot of emphasis, uh, yeah, in the training, uh, you know, my, my, I can, I can go out any day for a really long ride. I know what that takes mentally. Um, but what I've learned now through the training is not necessarily building myself to be a fast racer, because I know I can probably ride into that it's building my body up to a point where it can withstand being on the road for you know three plus weeks and not totally fall apart i think when i think of bikepacking training that's what i what i think of more so working through those what creates a repetitive injury and not being totally leaned out having some fat reserves recovering right as we know ryan's uh funny habit that I always enjoy is he is a diehard about his 
post-workout recoverite, I'll often find an empty bottle in the shower because he just can't wait to have it. He has to drink it while he's showering. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm a big advocate for it because especially if you're doing uh, daily workouts, um, in, in my head, like if you're not, if, if part of your workout isn't considered um, 15 minutes at least to 30 minutes of recovery, I don't think you're training properly. Um, especially if you're doing it, like I said, day after day. So I'm a big advocate for it. Well, speaking about, you know, training routines and that sort of thing, do you follow a strict training plan? I, I don't. I, I, I kind of look at it as uh, I, I evaluate it on a day-to-day basis. So like right now, I don't have a particular goal in mind. I, you know, there's the 24 hours of adrenaline, things like that, but uh, not that kind of big long-term uh, goal like the divide. Like that's still another year and a bit off. Mm-hmm. Um, but like if I am training for something like that, I I, I don't follow a structured program. I, I follow more uh, a more is better routine. Um, and what I've learned um, over the last couple of years is for bike packing specifically is and really really to be to to do okay at these things um you can't just show up at the start line of say like the divide and having done a bunch of indoor rides or stuff that's convenient Mm -hmm. like to be really good at it you really have to have done you know probably an equivalent of the divide in a touring capacity to really get your body used to the the rhythms of the day Mm -hmm. you know what is it like to sleep in the dirt like I find the first couple of days on like the divide or really any trip, uh, you, you don't really sleep all that well because you're just not accustomed to sleeping on the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, what I've learned from from that is, is more is better, um, but really you got to put the emphasis on practical training opportunities. So if I'm training for the divide, I'm not riding my road bike you know, 300 kilometers around Canmore, I should be doing bike packing trips. Uh, one, to get used to the load of the, the gear, um, know how it feels, but uh, uh, yeah, like I said, get used to the rhythms of the day. Making it part of your lifestyle, I guess, too. Yeah, and you know, we, you and I have had some interesting discussions lately on uh, the nutrition end of things and um, there's there's some popular discussions right now in the bikepacking, well, endurance world on uh, ketosis and and using your your fat stores as a primary fueling source. So you know if you if you want to go that route, you know one it takes weeks, maybe months of practice, um, but it's part of a larger kind of understanding as far as building your body up through practical training. So. Um, you know, if you, if you're, if you're training for a bike packing trip, that's many days, uh, you know, and might be going through the night if you're really going for it and all you're doing is like road rides out and back from the house, your body's never getting used to, uh, what it's like to be burning calories 24 hours a day Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, sleeping in the dirt. Uh, like I said, so practical experience. Okay, so we've had uh, a little bit of some serious discussion here. Let's lighten it up a little bit. <laughs> All right. Ryan Corey, what inspires you? Well, what inspires me? Well, I, I'm a, a serial entrepreneur and a serial adventurer. Um, so I'm inspired by finding ways to improve myself. So, you know, right, right now, for example, when we're doing... 
workouts as it's quite chilly in Canmore these days. I'm really challenging myself to do resistance workouts that I haven't done before because, well, what I learned uh, from the last go of the divide is that I've got some pretty serious uh, muscle imbalances. So challenging myself to do workouts I wouldn't normally do. You know, maybe the odd core workout. No one <laughs> likes doing those. Um, I'm inspired by finding those new new avenues to try to to be that leader in the bikepacking world. It's one thing to be a leader, but you, you act, like you got to be live it and breathe it. So um, I have to not only tell myself as is trying to be a leader, but uh, educate myself. So um, always trying to stay on top of uh, you know new podcasts and education and blogs and things that are coming out. Um, so challenging myself to learn new things, to find new uh, entrepreneurial endeavors. And although <laughs> no one's making money at bikepacking, it's it's still kind of a it's a fun passion project right now. And finding new ways to uh, tell the bikepacking story. Mm. So the podcast uh, is one. Uh, the Bike Pack Summit is a pretty special thing that we got going on. Uh, the guidebook. Um, yeah, just finding finding new ways to apply uh, what could be considered old stories. I think that's what really intrigues me right now. Well, let's keep it fun. Let's do some rapid fire questions. So we'll try and keep them quick. Okay, I, I'll be better. I have been. I have some long winded answers. I got to be okay. better about that. Okay. <laughs> rapid fire. Okay, most precarious situation you've been in? <laughs> Every ride ever. Uh, <laughs> Jeez, uh, that's actually not that far from the truth. Quite often on these uh, scouts the last year, uh, there was at least one or two hours where I thought I'd got myself uh, a little uh, over, over uh, you know, I put myself in a precarious situation, whether it be with food or, or safety. Um, I, gotta pick one, gotta pick okay, one. Okay, sorry, sorry, sorry. Okay, <laughs> rapid ride, rapid ride. Okay, uh, first year of Tour Divide, um, second Second day going uh, up over Galton Pass, uh, just snowstorms, uh, freezing temperatures, hypothermic, and just being in a spot where it's like I'm the only person that's going to get myself out of this. Uh, it's scary. Okay. Best trail magic you've received? Jeez. Uh, um, it's usually on the divide. Um, well, can I include you on this? Sure. <laughs> So if, if Sarah, um, so she would quite often meet me at the start or end of some of my scouts and, you know, sometimes she'd have some treats for me or things like that. So that was always like the, the shining light at the end of sometimes that precarious tunnel. Um, but the divide, there's just, uh, there's amazing people. Um, I don't want to say all along it cause that's kind of stretching the truth, but, um, every state seems to have that person that it's known for, whether it's. Uh, Brush Mountain Lodge, it stays up all hours uh, to take care of riders. Uh, that would probably be the, the standout, ex- standout for me is, uh, is Brush Mountain Lodge. Yeah, awesome. Um, best trail magic you've given? Holy. Um, holy, there's so many options? Or <laughs> No, holy, there's not a lot. I just all of a sudden am thinking I'm a terrible person. Oh, rapid fire, rapid fire. Um, 
it's it's what I haven't done yet. So I we had planned to um, be out on the trail, so to speak, in Canmore for the Alberta Rockies 700 this last year, but um, a fair number of people didn't quite make it to town. <laughs> so I think maybe that's something that we can look forward to okay. uh, next year. Add it, add it to the list of goals. I was thinking you were going to go to uh, the lady who like pulled her back out on the Arizona oh, Trail. Okay. Yeah. But... Uh, no? <laughs> no, okay, so that that is a good one um, and uh, a good lesson. And uh, you'll, you'll do something nice for a person once. You might not do it a second time, <laughs> but it, it was good that we did it. it. Long story short, go see the Arizona Trail video I put together. We helped a lady that got into a bit of a rough spot uh, off the trail. Awesome. If you didn't ride bikes, what would you do? Uh, I think about it probably uh, once or twice uh, every week uh, because being an entrepreneur and doing these things isn't always easy Um, and it is very much a passion project but what I would do uh, I love filmmaking that's my that's my other passion well the next question was going to be what's your dream job or side hustle Um, well we've talked about the idea of a retreat I think that's a a fun uh, long-term goal um, but if, if I had all the means and all the ability, um, I would get into creating a series of, uh, you know, really inspiring, uh, bike packing films, uh, not unlike something that could be shown at, uh, say the Banff mountain festival. Oh, good idea. <laughs> Morning person or night owl? Uh, why are you even thinking? <laughs> yeah, I I'm, I'm quite, yeah, I'm, I'm early. I'm up early. I'm usually up around five. 5:30, and people kind of joke. The ongoing joke is you get emails from Ryan at like all weird hours. But uh, when it's on the trail, I'm I'm late and early. Um, but during the weekday, yeah, I like to get to bed by like 9:30 if I can. <laughs> yeah. But I'm I'm up early. I married an old man. Yeah. Um, I was gonna ask you what's the hardest day on the bike, but I think we kind of touched on that. What's What's the best day on the bike? You know, maybe it's not the best ever, but just what comes to mind first when you think of that was an awesome day on the bike? I, I hate to say that it revolves around food, but one of the, the some of the best experiences is like when you're starving and you pop into a town that maybe you haven't been to before and right ahead down the street you see that greasy it's greasy spoon and and there's a, a light or a bright sign saying open mm. and i hate to say that i do these things for food but <laughs> but you do as i'm thinking about <laughs> it I, I think that's a big piece about it is uh so, is, is 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 finding those those diner experiences i love that so i think i know the answer to the worst day on the bike would be when you you know descend down that mountain pass in the morning after going without dinner and you can't wait to have that greasy spoon meal only to see a closed sign yeah, yeah, there's 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 nothing worse than getting to a town, everything's closed, but it's going to open in two hours, <laughs> and you have that debate on like, geez, do I do I have the time to stick around? Like, how much do I really need or want that meal? That's that's tough. It's it's a bit demoralizing when you realize that you have to like shoot back into the mountains and be hungry for a while. For sure, favorite section of the Tour Divide. Uh, favorite section. I think a lot of it, it, it's very weather dependent. Mm. Um, because if you have shitty weather that can make even the nicest of places, not so pleasant. Mm. Um, it can be favorite section, favorite town, somewhere you find that you're like, Oh, I can't wait to get there. Probably anywhere with a nice restaurant. 
Yeah, anywhere with food, really. Um, Jeez, that's a good one. I think, well, if I'm being honest, like the reason why I think a lot of us come back to it is that really every day has its has its moments. I wouldn't say that there's any part that's ugly and any part that's um, better than, and than the rest. Um, you know, I think of the Tetons, I think of the, the, the Gila, um, you know, as, 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 as rough as a spot as I'm usually in, it's, it's, they're all unique and, and, and you know, places that are still kind of awe-inspiring when you're, when you're in it. What about the Arizona Trail? Removing the obvious, the Grand Canyon. Oh, that's not fair. I know. (laughs) But as as difficult as that might be, I imagine that comes up as a highlight for a lot of people because of, you know, the scale of it and the beauty. What's something kind of that no one, you know, unless you're really familiar with Arizona, what's something out there that people might not expect or don't know about that's really beautiful? Well, one of the unexpected uh, hardships and nicest views um, came going up. Oh man, I'm having a brain fart. Outside Tucson, Mount Lemon. Mount Lemon, yeah. Sorry. So um, I'd been on Mount Lemon before uh, on a road bike. Uh, you know, pretty straightforward, long climb. Um, nice views up top, but uh, you gain a whole new appreciation for those views, especially if you hit it at sunset. Um, when you climb up the backside of Mount Lemon, which is like, there's no easy part of the Arizona trail, but it's, it's amazing to experience what is one of the difficult, most difficult sections on the backside of, uh, Mount Lemon. So a lot of it's hike a bike, um, for many hours, um, on what most people consider a very straightforward road climb. Um, and just to know that this, this other trail is not too far off, uh, uh, the beaten path, uh, so to speak. So uh, that was kind of the, the eye-opening experience, uh, Mount Lemon. Uh, it's a t- tremendous climb up. And then to think, you know, before previously I had just descended very easily on the road bike. Um, you now go, um, traverse Oracle Ridge, which is like, I, I can't even do justice to explaining how difficult and hairy that experience uh, can be. And I was just touring it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but to know that these places exist on, on like, what is a, a world-class road climb? Like, you never would think of it until you do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, we'll go back to the Arizona Trail. Worst, weirdest, most. I don't know, whatever, just bad moment. Do you have any kind of lows that you want to talk about on the Arizona trail? Uh, the, the Arizona trail is, is, is very tough. It's, it's only 700 or so miles. Um, so it's, it's one of the shorter routes, like if you compare it to the divide, but it is, it is tough. Like it, it can take uh, probably as long as doing the divide, if not longer, I would say for your, for your average uh, rider. And I think that was something that it took me a little while to wrap my head around um, and be patient about. I knew it was going to be tough, but it went, you don't get it until you're in it. And it takes a lot longer to get to things than you had originally anticipated. So it's very easy to get into those spots where you don't have enough food, you don't have enough water, and you you know, you know get hangry, as we say, <laughs> and frustrated. Um yeah, it's, it was just kind of mind-boggling how difficult that route was. Okay, I'll give you your Grand Canyon moment. What was the best part of the Arizona Trail? Uh, well, the, the 
to go for a hike through the Grand Canyon, it's, I think it's like 21 miles. Um, you know, that's a long hike, but you know, if you told me that I had to do that, I, I wouldn't really think too much of it. I'd be like, okay, it's going to be a good day, you know, whatever. We'll, we'll have some snacks at the bottom and push on. Um, but when you do it with a bike, fully loaded bike on your back, cause you, you can't, the wheels can't touch the ground. That's kind of part of the novelty. Well, it's, it's law. <laughs> Um, but when you're carrying that on your back and you've never done that before, uh, there's something that like you're laughing at yourself as you're doing it because it's, it seems so absurd and people on the trail are kind of, are, are in awe and laughing at you at the same time because <laughs> they don't really know what to make of it. Um, cause they don't necessarily know that you can't ride, uh, there. Yeah. Um, but, uh, it's one of the most difficult things that I've, I've done. Uh, it's very difficult to hold that weight, especially being kind of a skinny cyclist without a lot of muscle um but you know when you look up and see where you are um it's yeah it's it's kind of like one of my power places we'll say it figures prominently into my early years uh touring from calgary down to arizona and waking up along the grand canyon and uh yeah it's 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 uh it's a special place i don't know how to explain it other than it's it's a an awe-inspiring scene, but it just has a, a special energy for me that brings me back. How's that for a rapid-fire answer? Not so rapid. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, go-to fuel when training? Um, I, I'm about whole food choices. So um, whatever's good in the fridge. Uh, so whole food. When you're out on a ride, oh. what are you fueling with? Uh, Perpetuum okay. is usually my go-to. So something that's in a bottle. Uh, that's mixed. It's easily digested. It's, you know, relatively tasty and I know it does the trick. So that's my go-to. Go-to when racing. Uh, You're in the convenience store. You can only grab one thing. Oh, um, one thing. Shit, that's one a good thing. question. I would probably grab, uh, nuts. Nuts. Salted nuts. Okay. Salted nuts. Electrolytes, protein, fat, carbs. Yeah. <laughs> Favorite piece of gear that you own. What's your most prized possession? Um, well, the one thing that I could transfer over to every kind of bike, and if I had the choice, would be my shoes and pedals. Um, so I really got into a specific type of flexible shoe the last couple of years. It's a Shimano, I think it's the XM7 shoe. And um, I, I honestly couldn't do what I'm doing without the, the flexible shoes and, and the Crank Brother um, mallet pedals it's i've got really messed up feet so if i had to take one thing in the burning fire it'd be to it'd be that i definitely thought it was going to be your patagonia jacket oh. <laughs> <laughs> ryan lives in that thing bivy or tent uh it's, i love the idea of a bivy but um an ultra light tent i find is uh, a better shelter uh for many obvious reasons mm-hmm. and uh you know the, the your expensive ultralight tent is going to pack up almost uh to, to this, the same size as a, as a baby. So tent would be my my choice. Headphones in or out? Uh, th- this has been the first year I haven't really used music on any of my trips, and it's actually been okay. Um, I find music can be distracting because you can only listen to so much, and you eventually start to listen to the same, same songs over and over. Mm-hmm. And I would find myself getting kind of anxious when I was listening to music because I, sometimes I couldn't find what I wanted to listen to. Yeah. And you get frustrated, you're scrolling around, it kind of takes you out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would actually probably challenge myself on the next 
like the vibe, probably not to to listen to music. So earphones, earphones mm-hmm. out. I did it on the Arizona Trail. No and, podcasts either. Hey, no funny comedians to uh, fuel you with laughter. Actually, yeah, you know that's a good. I might I might bring some podcasts or comedians. Maybe not music, but. Uh, Okay, maybe one one ear, your phone in, one your phone out. A little Aziz. Yeah. <laughs> Nastiest water source that you have dipped into. Um, well, really, anything along the Arizona Trail is pretty terrible. Um, well, by by sight, anyways. Um, so you're quite often most of the water sources are cattle troughs. So we're talking like a an open field with a bunch of muddy muddy uh, cow hoof prints, cows wandering nearby. And a little spring that's uh, come up through through the field there. So you're going you're going into that. Um, you're having to filter it with like a buff or something, and then put in your iodine tablets. And the water's not 100% clear, and you're always it feels like you're playing Russian roulette. Um, but yeah, I had no problems. But um, if you didn't have experience with that, it would be pretty challenging. <laughs> Mantra you try to live by. I'm trying to pull the obvious quote, but uh, it's I I I always hate saying this, but because it always feels cliche. But like pursuing your dreams, and um, I'm finding trying to find a better way of saying it. But being fiercely loyal to your 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 passions and things that motivate you. Um, So not giving into convenience, uh, whether it's uh, career or training or or diet and and not to say that I'm an expert in any of that but um trying to to live by that motto being fiercely loyal to that that thing that that inspires you so you know I briefly mentioned filmmaking so not just always writing that off as oh it'd be fun to do someday you know cuz as you know I spend like probably an hour every day listening to movie podcasts and reading blogs like it's something that obviously inspires me mm-hmm. um to to someday uh you know actually plot that down as a goal you know maybe after the the guidebook so fiercely loyal awesome okay last one what's scarier grizzly bears or dogs on the loose uh a, a barking mean looking dog um i would say scarier than a bear um, a bear is big. It's somewhat predictable. I, f- I find dogs not as predictable. Mm-hmm. And quite often they come at you from all angles that you don't see coming. Um, I'm, as I'm saying that, I'm thinking of the Arizona, or, uh, Alberta Rockies and riding through the stony Nakota lands and uh, you know, uh, native dogs kind of just coming out of uh, the darkness at 3 <laughs> in the morning. Uh, so dogs would always be scarier. Awesome. I had to ask that because it's been Bear-mageddon here in uh, the Rockies, so everyone always thinks of big, scary bears. But It makes the news. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think that's all I've got for you. Okay. Well, uh, thank you, Sarah. I have no idea how, how long we went, but this was our first Q&A podcast. We, we talked about doing more in the future. Hopefully a little more involvement as far as questions from uh, the, the bikepacking community and, and really um, anyone that's listening. So uh, we'll, we'll do these in the future to, to, to kind of cover the, the points on what's going on in the, the community and what we're looking forward to and uh, keep the interviews going to be kind of the, the sniper rifle approach on uh, stories and honing in on the, the individual uh, projects. So thank you. Thank you, Sarah. And uh, thank you for listening to the fifth episode of the Bike Pack 
Canada Podcast. Cheers.